Hey, hello, welcome to 9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy. I hope you're doing good. I appreciate you joining me today. I'm talking about the album Last Splash from The Breeders. And I'm doing it with my friend Tiff, who was kind enough to come over and record an episode with me. And she also brought a friend of ours, Matt, who didn't know that we were going to be recording a podcast episode. And so we kind of had to tell him, like, hey, would you kindly please... um sit quietly in the other room and play with my dogs for like a half an hour or so, uh, which he was generous enough to do. And he was generous enough to agree to come onto the show himself at a later date. So we'll get to Mr. Matt Fleming in a future episode. But for this episode, I was really happy to have Tiff come on. Having her coming on one of my podcasts is kind of like coming full circle. She has been really incredibly supportive. If I could pick one word to describe her in my life, it has been supportive in every endeavor that I've undertaken since I was like in my early 20s. She's always been a real cheerleader and she was really enthusiastic about my first podcast. It's just always just really been there and just been awesome. So she helped me out once again by coming on the show and sharing her story about the Breeders and Last Splash, which this band, as I'll mention in the episode, so I won't get too deeply into it here, I really grew up loving the Pixies and never giving the Breeders their shot. So I'm really glad that Tiff chose to talk about this album because it forced me to dig into this album, which I needed to do because it's awesome. Here it is. You are in my house. You are in my physical presence. It's really nice to see you. It's really nice to see you, too. And I love your office. It's amazing. Thank you. Way too many Funko Pops. I love that. (laughs) It's super cool. Thank you. So you've come today to talk about the album Last Splash from 1993 and The Breeders. I have. I have indeed. I am younger than Travis, Mm -hmm. Um, so I was seven in 93 and eight in 94. Uh, Thank you, January birthday. (laughs) So my experience with the breeders really comes from my mom. Like, you guys had these awesome experiences on your prior episodes of getting like the eight CDs for a penny or whatever. Columbia House, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I definitely did that in my later years. But I got this album because my mom let me pick. Like, she would take me to Harmony House, which is a record store in, like, the Detroit area, Uh and she would be like, okay, which one are we getting? And she would hold two up, and I got to pick. And I heard all of my music on the riff. That was her favorite radio station. And I actually picked the Breeders. I'm surprised now, looking back, that she offered it as a choice, because my mother was very solidly hair metal into thrash metal. Okay. And then goth. She, like, aside from Nirvana, steered clear of, like, the alternative mm-hmm. path. Did I she s- like the Pixies, maybe? 
She didn't. Huh. Um, and unfortunately, my mom is not living, so I can't ask her. I can't retroactively find out if she secretly was, and maybe that's why. But um, I don't ever remember hearing the Pixies. It was more like it went from Bon Jovi and like White Snake to Metallica and Anthrax, and then White Zombie and Ministry and Danzig. And somewhere in there, I got the Breeders, <laughs> the last splash, okay. because she offered it as a choice. Uh-huh. I don't know if it was the album cover or if it was the fact that Kim Deal was singing that made me like it. So did you listen to any of it like at Harmony House or were like, had you heard it before and you knew that? Do you remember? Not at Harmony House, but I remember hearing uh, Cannonball I okay. think, on the radio. So yeah. I think that was the first single or the second single. It was definitely like the big single. Yes. Right? It was definitely the one that you heard a whole bunch. Yeah. one I heard from this album, like I was into the Pixies as a little kid, so I got into the Pixies when I was probably about your age at the time, so I was like eight maybe. Yeah, Frank Black, he like made amazing noises. I mean, (laughs) as a child, how could you not? Right, right. (laughs) And they played them a lot on 89X, and I grew up listening to 89X, so I was able to get into the Pixies. So I guess that's probably how I sort of got into the Breeders, but I never got into them really. Like, you got into the album all the way back then. I heard it a few times in my life, but I never really listened to it seriously until the last couple months that we've talked about doing this episode. So I'm really glad you picked it because I hadn't been given it its due and I was due to give it its due. Well, definitely. To be honest, I had to re-listen. Now, it is an album that I've picked up and put down. Like, I remember listening to it as a child and I think part of the reason it impacted me I mean, we saw a lot more female musicians and bands like the Smashing Pumpkins and Sonic Youth in that time period, mm-hmm. but the only one that I remember, aside from Kim Deal, was Sean Reynolds in White Zombie. <laughs> and like, yeah. that is the only other musician that I saw in a genre of music that I liked at that time. So maybe that's why the Breeders like stuck out to me. It was something special to me at that age. <laughs> but then as a team, I would say, so I picked them back up around like 12, 13. My sisters and I, we had tree houses and we used to go hide in our tree houses from our parents and play cassette tapes. And now I had the CD, but my older sister, she had the cassette tape. So we would bring the tape player up to the tree house and put on the album and just like throw cattail fluff at each other. This was in Heartland. Of course. <laughs> so. <laughs> I started my life close to Pontiac. I was there until my mom passed away. And my sisters, they're not stepsisters, they're sisters. I got them when I moved to Heartland. So like this album helped cement those first few years with them. And like, it's just really awesome. So when I re-listened to it over this summer, cause it is like one of my quintessential summer albums every year. That's all I could think of. I text my sister, Jenny, and I was like, oh my god, do you remember listening to this song when we were 13 and torturing Melanie? And she was like, oh my god. 
I do. And we have this running treehouse playlist on Spotify, and I noticed she added like half the album. So it's <laughs> awesome. So it bonded you to your family. In, yeah. In multiple ways. Yes. That was incredible. It really did. Could you name a favorite song from this album for you? So, you know, I kind of want it to be this song when I get sent out on this. I don't know if I should name it now or wait. You can go ahead and name it now and we'll use it to go out on too. <laughs> okay. I just want to get along. That's it. We were rich always been one of my favorites and I don't know if it's because of the baseline or the tempo. I'm not a musician. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all of you musicians. I, I promise. I don't <laughs> I'm not trying to get people that are like that are musicologists. I'm not interested in that. I'm not, you know, it's okay. I'm more interested in your personal experiences. Yeah, but I don't know. There's something special about listening to like Morgan and Christian talk about being musicians and yourself. Your implicit way of understanding music is something that I envy. I mean, I'm a connoisseur for sure, but I can't play to save my life. <laughs> you know, it gets harder the older I get, the longer I go between picking up that guitar behind you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, I don't know, I guess another way that I would talk about them, I would relate them back to the Pixies, mm. clearly. The Pixies, to me, were more like mental illness on full tilt. <laughs> display as music and this album really seems like a cognitive behavioral therapy exercise okay how L like a mindfulness exercise i don't know if you've ever practiced mindfulness um i have adhd i'm trying to get away from my mind most of the time <laughs> fair <laughs> okay totally fair so i know that no one listening would know but i'm finishing grad school for a, a psychology degree so cognitive behavioral therapy is something that I've studied. Mindfulness in particular, this seems like Kim Deal's way of dealing with all of what is going on in her head Okay, post-Pixies. So she's saying that she's trying to get along in the Pixies, right? No, no, I think she's trying to get along in life. Okay. I mean, this album does have some breakup elements mm, to it, some yeah. vocals that are definitely indicative of like an ending relationship, whether or not it's a personal relationship. Or like a relationship with a band. Yeah, like like Do You Love Me Now? Yes, exactly. Do you think of me Like I dream of you Do you wish you were songs that are more instrumental seem more like interludes mm -hmm. and there's a lot of them 
yeah, there are a lot. It is a very instrumental album, but it just reminds me of like, okay, I'm gonna recognize that I'm thinking this and I'm gonna watch this thought pass by, mm -hmm. but I'm not gonna interact with it. And then like in a couple instances, you hear guitar static in one ear. If you're listening on headphones or something, the way it's mixed, you'll hear guitar static in your right ear, you'll hear the melody in your left ear, and you're just kind of like, oh, that's the noise of everyday life. That is the noise of something else going on, trying to creep in. So that, I mean, that's how I interact with this album now, but everything is colored by what I do <laughs> for a living. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear someone else's take. Listening to do You Love Me Now and I Just Want to Get Along. With both those songs, I found myself thinking, is this about a relationship or is this about like being in a band? Um, is kind of what I was thinking. Like, I just want to get along. I don't know if she's directing that specifically at Frank Black. I felt like both those songs are more than just about like romantic relationships. Yes. Right? And then like, Do You Love Me Now? I could see her kind of singing almost like to someone like me, someone who was like, a big fan of her work for a long time and then just wasn't sticking with the breeders and kind of like being like I'm still doing the same work this is as good if not better right. than a lot of that stuff so listening to that the last few weeks or whatever I felt a few times like yes Kim I do still love you I fucked up I'm sorry um, <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say for me though my favorite song on the album is the catchiest song on the album Divine Hammer my mind that Last Flash was such a ubiquitous single. Like there was a minute there that you could not hardly turn the radio or MTV on without hearing it if you had it on for like a half hour or more. But Divine Hammer seemed to kind of blip and then go under the radar, but it's always been, when I think of Breeders, it's like my favorite song. It's just so light and kind of fun and I assume a sexual allegory, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it'd be hard to pin down her exact motivations for each song without talking to her or like reading more of her interviews. That is something I'm bad at, is reading artist interviews, so I don't know what her thoughts about this album have been. Yeah. It'd be nice to see them, because she's touring this yeah. September through Detroit with playing this album. We should go. We should go. <laughs> it'd be super cool. I agree. Maybe yeah. she would talk a little bit between songs, you never know. Maybe. What's her sister's name again? Do you remember? Which sister? Her sister. Oh, her sister. Uh, Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. So I feel like Kelly has kind of had some issues on and off. I, I don't follow them closely enough to know the ins and outs of it. But I know that she was kind of like out of the band at one point, like back in the band. And they definitely had a couple drummers. So I think it's really just like Kelly and Kim and the bass player, who I'm not sure who her name is. I thought her name was Josephine, but I could be wrong. Let's just call her Josephine for the sake of this conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, the bassist is definitely one of the most amazing to look it up, musicians we? on the album. I mean, the, the bass lines are just, they're stellar and they're very indicative of that time period. I feel like they give way to what you hear from like 
Fat Records and Epitaph bands in the future with their heavy bass lines. Mm. Like this era of music in general is kind of like a, I guess, proto-punk in its own way. Proto-90s punk, I should say. Not proto-punk, but proto-90s punk specifically. I'm not a big Fat Records or Epitaph fan. Like well, that, is... that started like in 90 or 91, so they were, they were definitely already going, but I get what you're saying. Like, yeah. And I think it's definitely arguable that she's continuing the kind of proto-punk oh, stuff yeah. that Pixies was doing. Yeah, right? no, for sure. And you were right. Her name is Josephine Wiggs. Hey. I feel like we needed to get her actual name right yeah. on the record. <laughs> Definitely. She deserves that. I'm glad I got the first part. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> good. <laughs> what about an underrated song? Is there a song in this album that you've underrated in your life? Mm. Saints is underrated for what it is. I like what I chose to be my underrated song on the album too. Saints is underrated. I really like it. It definitely. I think maybe that song is what sticks in my head is like the quintessential summer song, but lyrically speaking, makes sense. It's a lot of fun and it's really like driving. And it's funny, again, like I don't think that one was a single, but I feel like I heard it somewhere back in the day, probably because the people that liked the album would play it. But yeah, listening to the album, that one and Do You Love Me Now are the ones I get most excited about other than Divine Hammer. Yes. Yeah. Yep, I completely agree with that. instrumental songs it's funny because i remember listening to this on like an old boombox like old school boombox where one of the speakers would have to hit sometimes to get it to work (laughs) and i was always wondering if it was mixed in a way so that the vocals only came through on one side or if it was really just an instrumental (laughs) song when i was little i would just hit the top of the boombox Sometimes the vocals would be there, sometimes they wouldn't, depending on how hard you hit it. <laughs> right, well, with some music, but with this album until I learned what was instrumental and what wasn't. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah. Yeah, so this is like one of those albums you kind of learned music, like what it is, too, in a way, yes. when you were that young. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I have a weird relationship with music. It was something that my mom was really into, and because she died in 95, it really cemented like that was the way that we had bonded and Mm. so I've carried that love and attachment to music through like my entire life but she had very specific genres that she would move through and I didn't go back and listen to the Pixies until I was like I don't know 13 years old or like get into punk rock because punk was kind of like the antithesis of 
thrash metal in a way mm. to me in my head when okay. I was a teen. Yeah. And then when I went back, I went way back to like Bad Brains and Henry Rollins. I skipped right over No Effects and like <laughs> Green Day <laughs> and all of that. Right straight to the source. Oh yeah. No, I can't I can't stand Green Day. Um I remember my mom offered me a choice between Metallica's Black Album or Green Day's Dookie, and I picked the Black Album <laughs> over <laughs> Dookie. So that should tell you something. <laughs> So she did that regularly with she a bunch did. of different albums. She did. That was like a, I, I want to say it was almost weekly from oh, what wow. I remember. I inherited her CD collection when she passed away. And actually I had the physical CDs up until maybe a couple years ago mm-hmm. when I was finally like, why am I still <sighs> lugging this around? I did the same thing about two or three years ago. <laughs> I let go of a bunch of CDs and now the last like year I've been like, I miss all my CDs. I've started collecting CDs again because now I'm suddenly being like... Not everything's streaming and... Well, um, not only that, but uh, I mean the the compression, like file compression yeah. affects the quality of the recordings. So For sure. CDs always sounded better to And it's me. also just fun to collect things. Yeah. Know. Mine were so scratched, though, because they've been carried through so many lifetimes, I feel like. <laughs> Like I said, it bonded me in so many ways to like who I was around and what I was doing that it's hard to really, and especially if you think about it like a mindfulness exercise, it's hard to pinpoint a weak point, well, but maybe a break or like um, maybe it feels a little bit different than the rest of the album. Maybe I can think about it in those terms. I don't know that it's a weak song and I'm not familiar enough with the album that I really want to pick a weak song, but I will say for me, Mad Lucas was definitely like it's... It's the most different from the rest of the songs on it the is, album. It is, but I liked it. No, I, yeah, I understand. I don't dislike it, but I feel like there's... Well, see, Driving on Nine is a real mood shift. It really is. But it's so, like... I mean, I, I feel like I'm driving on Nine. And you spend a lot of time in that. The mood shift doesn't jerk me the way that the Mad Lucas mood shift kind of shifted me. Because I'm, like, in this mode. I'm, like, you know, all kind of upbeat. And then Mad Lucas comes out. I'm, like, okay, it's, it's kind of like a lullaby. It almost feels like they should have ended the album with it. Yeah, when you put it like that, I can see that. But I appreciate Mad Lucas if you're looking at it as a whole construct. Like I said, I kind of look at it as her way of dealing with her life or what is going on in her life. So Mad Lucas is kind of like a... It's kind of that dip in your thinking when you're like, you're making progress, you're making progress, and then all of a sudden you're Um, just like... You're mad. 
oops, yeah. you know? I'm really angry, I'm really frustrated. Either shit is not going the way that I want it to, or I didn't really think this through, or I haven't thought this through. Like, the negative things are starting to hit. Gotcha. You know, negative feelings. But driving on nine, I would have cut it. That's the one. All right, so that's (laughs) that's the weakest one for you. It sounds like if you would have cut it, (laughs) I would have. Beneath the streetlight, behind my home, driving on nine, I sure. I don't know, what would that made you end on Saints, I think? And that would have been like a high note? Like, I would have bumped Mad Lucas to the end, maybe, and then... Oh no, sorry, the Roy reprise is at the end. Yeah, the Roy reprise is at the end, and it's so fast, you kind of don't even notice that it's happened. Yeah, so... I guess I would still cut Driving on Nine, and then your real ending would be on Saints, which would be a high note, and I think that would be good. I'm obviously biased because it's the word Roy, which is my last name, but that <laughs> yeah. is probably my favorite instrumental on there is Roy. spelled different, though. Yes, it's so. R-O-I, which is whenever I'm on the phone and I tell like uh, someone I'm on the phone what they ask my last name, I'm like, R-O-Y, and they go, R-O-Y? I'm like, no. And I gotta like, do the whole thing. never seen them live. No, I have never seen them live. I was too young, but I will say, like, my mom, she did some, I don't know what exactly she did at Pine Up, but she got tickets. She worked there in some capacity, got tickets to see different bands. That's cool. The Breeders was just someone that I didn't catch, mm. so I would love to see them. If they're not sold out, it's definitely a show I need to look into. We've kind of dropped the ball. We should have bought tickets as soon as we were I aware know, of it. Seriously. Fall is so busy for me, though. It's like my final year of grad school, so I've been like, can I do this? <laughs> like, do I have this in me? <laughs> You've got a lot going on. It's yeah. true. <laughs> What's your experience with this album? I know you said that you haven't really given it a lot of the time that you thought it deserved until now, but... Well, that's pretty much my experience with the album. I, I would have, like, back in the Kazaa days, I got it through that. Oh, I forgot about that play. Right? And, I and it would have been, like, that album and Pod, and the EP, all out of order, and wasn't sure which was in which album. So, like, I kind of, like, they were just in my mix. So I listened to them back then. Yeah. And then, you know, that computer died, or Kaza died, or whatever. So I really didn't dig back into it until you picked it for this podcast. So I don't have a lot of experience with this album. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad I picked it. I'm glad you did too, because it's such a staple of the era. It's a little embarrassing that I hadn't spent like a fair amount of time with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm glad I did. No, no, it's cool. Like I said, I had to give it a refresher myself. Like, it's one of those pick it up, put it down for periods of my life. But then every summer, it 
I don't know, maybe it's just like the base and the treehouse memories that really do it for me. Cause it's weird, every summer I go through like this whole, oh, I wanna listen to stuff with heavy bass. Usually that kind of thing doesn't crop up for me, but I can name a few bands. That's that I, funny. Yeah. I only listen to Bob Marley and Tooth of the Maytall in the summers. In the summer, but I listen to them oh, every single summer. Nice. I don't really listen to them. I mean, it's just every summer. It's like okay, I'm like in barbecue mode. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> just to have those summer jams, I guess. Yeah. No, for sure. I love it. I didn't even know you were a reggae fan. Just, just those two acts, really. Gotcha. Just you know, three months of the year. Fair. So, are you listening to anything else these days? That's really you've been jamming a lot. That's grab you. Uh, well, I don't know. I have shared with you a few things, mm -hmm. but just to go back to the same era, like, I've been putting on Failure's Fantastic Planet yeah. all summer. You should come back and talk about that album. I will. I totally will. <laughs> Another album that you got me into that I was really, had been aware of, but not paid any attention to. Well, I love that because I love getting people into music. It's one of my favorite things to do. Me too, it's partly why I did the podcast. <laughs> I'm glad you did. But yeah, so that, and then obviously my love for the Deftones supersedes everything. And then typo negative, which I know, I know. <laughs> so Tiff and I have talked about this. She asked to do the, the, what's the name of that album? Bloody Kisses. And I told Tiff no. I said no, um, because I don't really care for it. But I acknowledge its importance and I care for Tiff, so... <laughs> Peter Steele is like one of my very favorite musicians, but my buddy and I were talking about this the other day. I should go back and say, so metal is my first love. It will always be my first love. So every goth sort of metal act from that time period, mm -hmm. I have a thing for. Peter Steele is like the perfect representation, like in human form of that era of music. And that's why we'll eventually <laughs> do it, because I can't deny the effect of that album on a bunch of people that I know love music. So we'll do that next time, maybe. Yes. And his deep voice. That's the other thing. <laughs> Gotta love deep voices. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so I always end my shows with questions about, like, 90s stuff, okay? Sure. And I have questions for you. Okay. I like to try and tailor it to people, and you were a kid at the time. Yes. And I was. And you work with kids now. You have your I own do. kid. You love kids. I do. You I love do. kids. So I have five different kids programming shows from 1993, and I want you to, like, Tell the audience what you can remember about them, so kind of like explain sure. what it is in brief, and then tell me which one is your favorite. Okay. Sound good? Fair. All right. So number one, the OG Sesame Street, which I don't know that you need to explain that. Everyone knows Sesame Street. Yeah, I, I couldn't even do it justice if I tried to explain it. Sesame Street was amazing. Did you I, watch it growing up? Yes, me all too. the time. One of my favorite characters was Oscar the Grouch. Of course. But I love difficult people. I have an affinity for difficult people, so... I don't know. Maybe that's why I liked him. <laughs> that's fantastic. Now, it came out in 1992, and by 1993 was a huge cultural phenomenon. Barney and Friends. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. Oh, God, Barney. Please. <laughs> Were you watching Barney and Friends at that age? So, no. I was a little bit too old for Barney. But Thank my, God, right? My friends had little siblings, so I saw Barney. And my littlest sister is 11 years younger than I am. 
and she loved Barney so much <laughs> to the point where her mother ordered a VHS tape with her face like pasted on a character. Oh my lord. And animated like with <laughs> Barney. So if there was one thing I would wipe off the planet, it would be Barney. So you're not picking that one. Got no. <laughs> um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Was in its heyday in 1993. Remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> Well, she sneaks around the world from Vienna to Carolina. Yes, I knew, and I remember playing the game with yep. Oregon Trail, and then there was Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. We could yeah. play either one. And it was that only on TV with Liz Thigpen. Yes. And it was like a game show for kids. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of game shows for kids, the last year that Double Dare was on was 1993. What was I that? Remember I remember that? Double Dare, yeah. What do you remember about it? That it was a Nickelodeon show, and it was right before something else that I watched that I really liked. I always tuned in at the end of that one, though, so yeah. I probably wouldn't pick that one. Okay. Lots of green slime, as yes. I recall. Yep. Yeah. Was it Mark Summers? It was Mark Summers. Uh, yes. Famously a germaphobe and worked around kids and <laughs> yes. slime all day. That's the funny part to me. <laughs> <laughs> And he also famously got into like an on-air fight with Burt Reynolds, which is great. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, lastly, and I think I know which ones you're going to gravitate to, and I thought this might be the one. Bill Nye the Science Guy started oh. in 1993. Remember that? Bill Nye the Science Guy. Yes, Did I love Bill Nye. That yeah. would be my pick for sure. Okay. I, I used to want to do all of the experiments that he would do on television, and my mom was just like, we don't have the stuff for that. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, she let me watch all of that, so. So that's the one? Yeah. Do you remember Almost Live? Nope. It rings a bell, but I don't... It was a sketch comedy show that was, like, on, but it was not very big. It was on Comedy Central, and that was where Bill Nye... Got his start. Oh, gotcha. So that was, I used to watch him on that. And then all of a sudden, like, he went from being, like, part of the sketch comedy troupe to, like, having a kid's show. But I was, you know, 13. So it was just the age where I was like, yeah. uh, okay, I can deal with this one. I can watch this. You know, oh. I'm not going to watch Barney. Yeah. I can sure as shit watch Bill Nye, who I already knew was funny and cool, do stuff. Wait, you know? so Pee-wee's Playoffs didn't come out in 93? Pee-wee's Playoffs was on well before that. Okay. It may have been on the air at the time. Did I drop the ball and not no. include the, the recently departed? No, I don't. I, I honestly, I don't know, but I watched the crap out of that show. It ended in 1990. Okay, because I had VHS tapes of that show <laughs> into adulthood, and now I have the whole series on DVD. So I gotta say, I was still watching that in 93. <laughs> so the true children's programming that has your heart is Peavy's Playhouse. Yes, okay. absolutely. I, that's better than all of the options I gave you. Tell the people how you and I know one another. So I don't remember when we like first actually met, but I know that I showed up at a few of your band practices because I'm like a few years younger than you, clearly. So I remember being at Kill Drama practices, and I'm not sure if that was because of John and Christian or if when I really met you it was through Jimmy. 
Jimmy Takis. I think so. Yeah, and that was later. That was Rain and or yeah, Rain and Sweat. Sweat. That's right. That was during those practices, and I just remember bonding with your cat. <laughs> I, Abby. I, yep, I remember like sitting on the ground and playing with your cat, and you being like, "She doesn't like anybody." <laughs> like, I don't know what you did, but I was like, "Oh, well, I like cats." So that's what I remember. But we went to the same high school. I was just there after you right. and after Christian and. Morgan and everyone else I was friends with. So. Yeah, and we always had a lot of the same friends, and we yes. liked a lot of the same bands. So we would see each other at shows sometimes. I feel like, yeah, and, definitely, you know, especially like local shows, like our mm-hmm. friends' shows and that kind of stuff. Well, absolutely. I feel lucky that I even got to know any of you guys because you were all like out of high school as I was entering high school. But I think going to shows and music is really what cemented it. We were lucky to get to know you. That was a big part of the whole thing at the time. I mean, it still is, obviously, but music is a unifier. Yes, absolutely. I truly agree with that. And that's kind of how I live my life. It's a good way to live. And that feels like a good note to end on. Yeah. Thank you, Tiff. Yeah. Thanks a lot no, to me. thank you. This was so much fun. Okay. I can't wait to come back. Do, please. <laughs> I just want to get along. I am grateful that Tiff Lawson would come on the show and talk about the breeders with me. I'm thankful for the breeders. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful all around. A couple notes. I was about a decade off when I said I thought that Epitaph began in 1990. It was actually 1980. And also, despite talking about it twice in that episode, me and Tiff did not go see the Breeders live, I'm sorry to say. Uh, there was another show. I was supposed to see Broken Social Scene recently, and I've just learned that apparently going out on a weekday night anymore for me is becoming extremely unlikely. I can kind of blame it on my new schedule. I can kind of blame it on the fact that, uh, you know, I'm getting up there. Last Splash by the Breeders celebrated 30 years recently. And if you want to come on the show, maybe you could talk about Mezcal Head, the album from Swerve Driver that also very recently celebrated its 30th anniversary. this song from the outro that I used for this show. It's called Blowing Cool, and I think it's got one of the best riffs, one of my favorite all-time riffs. But maybe you don't want to talk about Swerve Driver. That's okay. Talk about any album that you want that came out from 1993 or 94. Uh, I've also opened it up to a couple other things outside of that, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Tom Waits, stuff that didn't necessarily get released in that year. I'm starting to open the door a crack towards that. So email me if you're interested or if you just want to say hi. My email address is 9394 at gmail.com. And... Oh, yeah. Also, sorry that I included the Barney song in this episode. What can I say? I'm a fucking monster. Have a great day.
9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy, is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.